Get your gear ready. This is a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation. Welcome to a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation, a podcast dedicated to guiding you along your innovation expedition. It is I, Ben Tingey, your host Sherpa for today. I'm thrilled to welcome back our disruptive innovation Sherpa stars, Will Behrman, Jay Gerhardt, and Ann Summers-Hogg. How's everybody feeling today? Awesome. It's so good to be back. Great to be here, Ben. Ben. How are you? <laughs> I'm really pumped to uh, to be talking with uh, with you three. Outstanding. Well, on our previous episode, I interviewed Lindsay Denault, Michael Johnson, and Emily McKenna about their experience attending the Health 2.0 conference. Today, we'll pick up where we left off before our three conference review episodes and get back into our disruptive innovation jobs to be done theory mode. Uh, this time discussing the recent forays of Amazon, Google, and Apple into the healthcare space. We think this conversation is going to generate a lot of sparks in the brains of our listeners. And so you can engage with us on Twitter using the hashtag Innovation Engine. And don't forget to provide a review and a five-star rating if you've enjoyed the podcast. We'll also include Will and Summers and Jay's Twitter handles on this episode's show notes. Before we get started, uh, let's start with key concepts, key takeaways that we would like our listeners to um, take with them after listening to this podcast, and we'll come back to them at the end. Um, so, Jay, I'll start with you. What's what's one thing that we hope our listeners take away from today's podcast? Sure. You're going to hear us talk about resources, processes, and priorities a lot. And I think when we're talking about these different companies, let's line that up with how those companies can really get a customer's job done uniquely well. Great. Okay. Jobs to be done. Um, number two, Will, do you have a takeaway for us? I do, thanks. Um, you know, one thing I always want listeners to remember is that disruptive innovation is about there being a different business model. It's not just about a new technology. And so uh, remember that it's a different business model that makes it um, troublesome for an incumbent because they can't easily respond in a direct way. Great reminder. And last but not least, Ann Summers, do we have a uh, takeaway that you'd like to give our listeners? Definitely. I think what I'd love listeners to walk away with today is a feeling that these organizations aren't necessarily threats, but they actually pose potential opportunities for us because of their business models. They have the resources, processes, and priorities, which you'll hear us refer to as the RPPs, that we need for the future but don't necessarily have today. Great reminder as well. Terrific. All right. Well, let's dive in, shall we? Our listeners have probably heard the uh, the scuttlebutt in the news over the last few months about Apple, Google, and Amazon moving into the healthcare space. Those rumblings are now more like a roar. Uh, we've seen reports of Apple investing in primary care clinics and other healthcare apps, Google investing in data interoper- interoperability, genomics, aging, uh, Amazon acquiring pharmacy licenses in several states, moving into the medical supply chain. And uh, a little birdie told me that Amazon is going to uh, finalize their go, no-go decision about getting into the pharmacy benefit management uh, business before Thanksgiving, so in just a couple of weeks. Um, and they're obviously doing some consumer work with Alexa. 
other healthcare companies are reacting, like what we're seeing with the proposed CVS Aetna merger. So, with all this commotion, how can healthcare leaders and uh, entrepreneurs separate the signal from the noise? And, and we think that um, disruptive innovation theory can help them do that. So, um, well, let's review some of the theory to begin about resources, processes, and priorities. Uh, and maybe we can use Amazon as our example uh, organization, our example uh, use case. Uh, what resources, processes, and priorities uh, – well, f- maybe first we should define those. Um, and then what what resources, processes, and priorities does Amazon have? And I'll open that up generally to to everyone. Sure. I'll kick it off. So resources are things that you can think of that can either be bought or sold – hired or fired, or something that you can depreciate. So people, buildings, cash, all of those things are resources. Processes are how you group those resources together to achieve an outcome or achieve a, uh, you know, a particular um, benefit and uh, your, your value proposition. And so each company ideally uh, has their resources set up into certain processes that achieve the value that they want to provide for the customer. Okay. And and priorities really uh, lead a customer to really figure out what they can do and what they can't do. It often represents constraints. It involves things they will invest in or not invest in. I think another way to look at at those as well is the the priorities are the metrics of success that a company typically has, right? It should be geared to achieve those metrics of success. And if they want to change what they do, they either have to change their metrics of success or, and, and then change the resources and processes around it or find new ways to achieve their current metrics of success. Yeah, I've heard that that P uh, could also mean profit formula. So I think exactly. that aligns well with that definition. Terrific. Okay, so Amazon. What resources does Amazon possess? <laughs> this could be a long conversation, but uh, uh, briefly we can uh, – uh, kick where, it off. Where do you start? <laughs> I think, you know, one of these things is not like the other when you think about Google, Apple, and Amazon because of all the bricks and mortar uh, that Amazon has in terms of its logistics, its warehouses. And I think they've started to acquire a very large and broad set of resources, processes, and priorities. So they've got this whole technical component. They're cloud services uh, that they've really uh, uh, built uh, Amazon.com off of. And then they've got all these fulfillment centers that are still rapidly growing, and they've got people and they've got robots in logistics. logistics. So that's just, and they have more than that, but that's just kind of a start and something that uh, distinguishes them from the other two. Yeah, yeah. I think at their essence, all three of them have ways of uh, gathering, sharing, and understanding data that puts them ahead. Now, outside of that core, they're all three very different. And again, I think where Amazon distinguishes itself is in the logistics. So not only do they have the right analytics then, but they have the ability to move things from one place to another quickly um, based on needs. And so I I think that that's where they have a, a differentiation compared to the other two we're talking about. Yeah, they also have customer mind share. Like customers love Amazon. It's the first thing they think of when they need something today or tomorrow. It's the first place that they go. And 
they were recently, all primed to use them. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Um, but they, and they just expanded on that when they bought Whole Foods because of the people who love Whole Foods. And so I, I know that I said a resource was something that you could depreciate or something you could buy or sell. And, and I think in a way that they have really bought customer mind share, both through the acquisition of Whole Foods, but also by consistently delivering on what they promise. Yeah, it's an in, intangible asset. Yeah. And Whole Foods may be interesting in its applicability with healthcare as well, right? Because Whole Foods was really good at sourcing locally, um, but distribution was limited. And so you take their sourcing with the logistics of Amazon, you've got something new and unique. And, uh, you know, that may be a, a pathway that they also are thinking of in healthcare. So if we move on to the processes that are unique to Amazon, uh, one idea that comes to mind for me is, okay, so they have these resources, this incredible um, network of warehouses and things. It's their unique processes that allow them to do the same-day delivery, uh, the free two-day shipping for Prime members. You know, They've taken those assets, those resources, and then created a process that is able to achieve that outcome. Is that a fair example. Uh, well, what other processes make them unique? I, I think something is interesting about them is how they uh, take a service like Amazon Web Services and, uh, you know, Amazon.com becomes its first and best customer. So it, it kind of takes that service and they use it in-house and then all of a sudden they build it up, they perfect it, and they get it out there to the marketplace and now it's driving uh, more of their, their margin than really any other other area. So they, they they take kind of a basic building block and uh, perfect it in-house and then take it out to the market. I think another one could be just their relentless focus on the customer. And you hear how they always have the empty chair in a meeting that is supposed to represent the customer at the table. And that's a process or a component of their culture that's so deeply embedded that the customer is the heart of everything they do. Yeah, I think that's – and their willingness to experiment and to take some bets and risks around the needs of the customer. They don't always win, but they learn from them and they're willing to take those risks. That's what's going to make them better because even if you hit out a one out of four, if the one is good, hey, it's going to make a, a huge difference in the marketplace. And I think that's why they've been able to gain the mind share and, and the money that they've gotten is because they don't – rest on their past successes. They're always working toward that next one. And I think that's a culture. I don't know if it's a resource. It's, it's, it's built within their, their organizational DNA to keep striving for better. They won. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's that fail fast, fail forward mentality all in search of how do I serve the customer's job to be done better that enables them to do it so well. Because like Will said, they aren't afraid to fail and they aren't afraid to try and they aren't afraid to place those small bets to see what might pay off. So if we move into their priorities, what would be Amazon's priorities or profit formula? Those terms are synonymous, I think. I think one of their priorities is just customer loyalty, Um, even going beyond the mind share. It's not that we think of them. It's that they want to make it easy to transact and they want to make it – make their customers wanting to come back over and over and over again. I recently moved into a new house. I can't remember how people did it before Prime, but everything I needed was there within 48 hours, and I didn't have to waste time going around town looking for it. I mean, if I wasn't already committed to, to the company and to their process, I know I am now. I think uh, 
another characteristic that's common to these three companies is their sheer size. They're all huge companies now. Their market value is among the the top in the world. And what that does to you in terms of your priorities, it pushes you to bigger bets because if they're uh, going to generate strong sales growth, strong margin growth, they can't go to a little niche industry. So we're about to talk about healthcare. Well, why in the world would they be interested in healthcare? Well, in this country, it's 17% of the economy. So there's a big chunk of revenues and margin that's going to be attractive to uh, these three companies and, and others. And in every country in the world, healthcare is either the number one or number two spend for that country. So whatever you know they can solve and whatever problems they can uh, can can fix in any one country should be applicable to others. Yeah. And and Jay, you made me think of something, which is going back to your resources question, the network that they've created across a variety of different platforms is a huge resource that they have and those other big players do, too. And it's something that really separates them from from the rest is that huge network that they've been able to create of users or customers. And it separates them from really almost everyone in healthcare, uh, with the exception of maybe a CVS or a Walgreens, is that you know you don't have that many large national healthcare systems with millions and millions of customers. So uh, now some of these platforms are expressing their customer base in in the billions. So they're starting at a very different place that is unusual for players in the healthcare industry. So how do how does Amazon's RPPs and Apple's and Google's will open up to all three? How do their RPPs allow them to nail the customer's job uniquely well? Good question. I think that uh, at its essence, they've just built their company initially around the customer's needs. And reading about all the customers, all the companies, they may not have initially done the research to where they had an academic understanding of the customer's needs, but they had an intuitive sense and the ability to adjust quickly to where I think that they've established themselves. And then the RPPs created the consistency. So they established themselves as understanding the customer's needs and then developed the RPPs around that to hard code it, hardwire it. And so they can deliver consistently on their processes which isn't something that can be said in healthcare. There's a lot of variation in healthcare, so it's real interesting to juxtapose these three companies we're talking about and the incumbent healthcare system. So you're saying that they did a great job at the beginning of meeting the customer's job to be done, and as they scaled, they were able to preserve that ability through growing their resources and changing some of their processes, but they still maintained that focus on the customer's job. Exactly. To be and probably even learned more along the way. I think they may have even gotten better. So, And, and they each do it in different ways. And, and there's a lot of different ways you can answer this question. I'll just kind of pick one. We take Apple and we think about them as a highly integrated product. Now, they're not fully integrated. They have a lot of suppliers. But their key integration point is hardware and software. So when you think about um, their products, why are they uniquely suited to the job to be done? And that is because they're integrating their hardware and software. That's not necessarily what Google and Amazon have always done, even though they're beginning to go more that direction. So that's just an example how they have had a unique RPP in the past that's been very focused on making sure you have a really great iPhone that everyone wants that works differently and better than everything else on the marketplace. 
Yeah, and I'll follow up with that. Another thought on the Apple component and shocking again, Jay and I were thinking the same thing. Um, but if you if you look at Apple and you look through the lens of Simon Sinek's Start With Why, they're a company that's really good at focusing everything they do around the customer's why or the customer's job to be done. So if we start with why or the job, it's delight the customer. So that's the priority, delight the customer. And then the processes that they wrap around that are how they seamlessly design their products to be so easy to use. Aesthetic as well. And integrate their various hardwares. Exactly. Like put it it all on one platform. And then the resources that they use to do that are in-house engineers. They create their phones and then they have the phone that everybody wants. So they are able to uniquely deliver on the customer's job to be done because it's at the core and the start of all they do. So you take Google, for example. What's their why? I can't remember exactly how they state it, but put all the information in the world at your fingertips. Put it in the search search engine and you get it almost in, instantaneously. Again, they're delighting the customer in a little different way, but they have a very clear why at the beginning. And I think it's important as we think about healthcare and what these, you know, there's all these distractions of, of what they could do and, um, and and how that would affect us is to go back to the why and think about how that why relates to the healthcare system and what a healthcare consumer needs. So I, I love the fact that you brought up uh, Start With Why. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny, too, because what that kind of makes me think of is the fact that all three of these companies do two other things that I think um, they do consistently well throughout. One is they make using their products and services easy. And one of the ways they do that is by coordinating everything in the background and not leaving it up to the user to have to organize and coordinate, right? So if I go onto any one of my Apple devices and log on, I've got the same functionality pretty much. I don't have to reconfigure each one. I don't have to go through all this machination just to be able to uh, get them to work together. It's simple. It's seamless. It's behind the scenes. Same with Google. I, you know, I get all this information that I need. I don't care how it gets there. I don't have to think about that. It gets there. And then I can assess it from from that point. But the simplicity that they provide solutions, again, juxtaposing that to the current healthcare system, there's a lot of opportunity they have in how they provide their RPPs and how they provide their, uh, their final products today compared to the system that we currently have. Well, our group loves to talk theory, as all of our listeners can uh, can attest to. Um, but if we think from an incumbent's perspective, how is knowing uh, Amazon's or Apple or Google's uh, understanding their RPPs helpful? What strategic implications can we draw from understanding uh, potential disruptors' RPPs? One thought that I've had as I've been learning more about Google and their infiltration into the health space over the past couple of weeks is I was previously unaware of the bench of researchers that Google employs. So across thousands, yes, thousands across every industry topic you could imagine. But unlike at a university where they live in their silos of the different academic departments at Google, Google Brain, it's like you can interface with anybody. And it's work your way on what you want and here are all the resources you could need to do it. So they have this huge bench of researchers, which is a huge resource, and they've wrapped processes around it in a way that 
enables huge sharing for all the information and all the discoveries that are coming up. And I think the strategic implication of that is, one, what can we learn from them, but how might we partner with them so that we aren't duplicating efforts that they are likely doing better? Agreed. I think you know any healthcare system that wants to evolve needs to have a better and more consistent focus on the job to be done. And when you do that and you look at, okay, so what is the product and service that my customer is asking for and I need to provide consistently? Where am I failing on that? And I think you've got three companies here who are good at aspects of providing delight for customers. And in healthcare, we're not consistently doing that. So how can we use their resources, processes, like you said, the researchers who take things from bench to practice, and how can we fill in our gaps with somebody else as a partner rather than necessarily have to replicate? There are things that healthcare systems do uniquely well, treat patients. But a lot of the wraparound services and processes aren't necessarily that good. Interfacing with patients on a consistent basis between visits, things of that nature. And so I think if you look at some of the resources and processes that are needed to consistently provide the job to be done for healthcare, it's almost better to look at who can you partner with who does that well. And it doesn't even have to be one of these large companies. There's a lot of others that do it well, too. But I think the point at the beginning of this, these aren't necessarily just threats. These are really some good opportunities to not have to recreate the wheel. And you said uh, you know, great phrase at the beginning, how, how do you filter the signal from the noise? And I think understanding the RPPs and understanding the individual business model help you do that. Um, uh, you brought up Apple inve- you know, potentially investing in primary care clinics, which we've heard, you know, the uh, – looking at crossover health? Are they looking at one medical? And, you know, maybe I'll be wrong and um, we'll see in the newspaper they're going to do that. I almost view that as noise when I understand their RPPs and their business model because they're they're not wired to run primary care clinics. They're wired to uh, develop highly integrated, really great devices like iPhones and watches. So you, you think about what they're doing, you know, they want to keep the growth curve of those high-margin products going up. If they're going to buy a primary care practice, it's probably to experiment how you use Apple Watch more. They they uh, hired a, a, a physician from uh, Stanford Medicine who headed up their digital health, and, and she started up a, a kind of click-well practice there and uh, got into using Apple Watch. Well, To me, that's kind of what they're trying to do. How do we sell more phones, more watches, and more of whatever in the world they're going to figure out in five years that we can't do without? Yeah, because he's – oh, go ahead. This obviously touched off some (laughs) – So many thoughts. (laughs) So you said that they're so well integrated, and they are. When when they acquire things, they integrate them into their core. And if they're going to buy primary care clinics, they don't have a process in place or the priorities in place to allow that potential disruption or expansion of their business model to run separately. So what they would probably try to do, because it's how their RPPs are set up, is swallow it into the organization and their existing RPPs would crush it and so it wouldn't succeed. Yeah, right. just because Sorry. they can – that Apple stores are great – 
and the really great customer experiences where you can buy lots of iPads, iPhones, and, and watches, that doesn't mean they can all of a sudden uh, run great primary care clinics. No, they can exactly. integrate data well from multiple sources and do that on a common platform, which their hardware represents, the software represents. So you add that then to the analytic capability of Amazon to be able to understand that data and put it in a usable format, coupled with the analytics and research from Google to be able to determine what out there is clinically appropriate in a clinical standard that healthcare is used to, then maybe you start getting something, right? You start getting those specific resources from those three companies to do what they do really well behind the scenes. And then all of a sudden, you've got an integrated patient provider experience using analyzed data and in a way that is meaningful and scientifically valid with the right research. I mean, I see a business model. I mean, business models are a lot like tapestries or, or puzzles, right? You put together different pieces from different places, and those can represent your resources and processes. And I can see a tapestry or a puzzle in my mind that incorporates really all three and the best of what they do with current healthcare providers and things that we currently really don't have in our skill set. Yeah. So maybe to, sorry. Ahead, one other thing to throw out on the Apple thought: you mentioned that maybe they would by primary care practices to see how they could integrate the Apple Watch into primary care. What if they are venturing into healthcare to see how they could build a more delightful and useful EHR? Yeah, Random it, thought. It, it could be uh, just a way to do an experiment. Yeah. Right. Uh, but the alternative could be they could just partner with healthcare systems to do that like they are with Stanford Med and probably others. I would suspect the that when you start to partner with a healthcare system, having worked for one my whole career, um, they're slow, they're laborious, and they have different priorities. So I, I think, True. I mean, going back to reinforcing your yeah. reason of why they bought it. It, That's probably a lot about and, it. And their business model is a lot about control. So yeah. let's, if we're going to ha- have a lab, let's control yeah. it. I want, I want to reiterate one thing, though, that uh, Ann Summers said, and the fact that a lot of times when you have a company that purchases another company, they'll tend to do it because they, for two reasons. Either they want to go into a new space or they want to increase capacity in the current space. When they want to go into a new space, it's because they want to buy a different resource process and maybe priority. But often what times, it, what happens is when they incorporate that new company, that new resource and process into their current culture, it ends up being gauged by the purchasing company's priorities. And Therefore, the resources and processes either get weakened, not supported, or changed to where most companies don't end up getting what they want out of that. And so anyway, I I think that's a a warning signal for anybody who might be listening to this and think they want to apply some of these theories because if you're going to buy somebody or partner with somebody for something they uniquely do, get out of the way and let them do it. And don't make them accountable for your current way of doing business and your priorities. Anyway. Great point. Yeah, that leads me to a question. You know, so say incumbent organizations like health systems, payers, large medical groups, others, they see some of these changes, maybe they're disruptions occurring, uh, coming from Apple and Amazon and, and Google. Um, now that they are able to understand their RPPs, what are they supposed to do? Uh 
I think there are lots of reactions that they could take. They could feel threatened. They could want to partner. They could want to change something that they're – so what should they do? What do you think, Jay? You had a thought. I think a place you start is the customer's job to be done. And we kind of, and then you figure out where are some of the pain points or opportunities that we have in terms of delivering that. Where do the RPPs and the products and services of these companies line up? So I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the home. And we've talked about, and I'm just going to use this as an example, that ultimate disruption, instead of people coming into physician offices or hospitals to get care or diagnosis in their home. Well, all of all three of these companies uh, are going to be vying for the home in different ways. You know, they're all trying to get on the kitchen counter with a device. Uh, they'll probably be in our refrigerator at some point, and who knows where else they will they will be. Um, or they can simply be worn on our bodies. So those are all ways, and they have all sorts of technologies to do that. So we figure out, you know, how do we help? people uh, either stay healthy or uh, hold off disease or monitor a disease uh, and do that in my home very easily where it's in the rhythm of my life rather than in a clinic or in a hospital or something like that. So I think that's that's one way to look at it. Yeah, I would agree. It really gets back to what's the job to be done that the potential disruptors business model, their RPPs are aligned to serve uniquely well. And if we're thinking about how to separate the signal from the noise, are they delivering on a job to be done that we don't serve? Are they delivering on a job to be done that is core to our business, in which case they may be a threat or somebody we should think about partnering with? Or are they delivering on a job to be done that we have up to this point been totally oblivious to and we need to be more aligned with and better able to serve in the future? And again, so then they may be a partner to consider. As an incumbent healthcare system, I would be and am concerned about the fact that there's a misalignment of incentives between providers, payers, and patients. So ideally, we would want all of us geared toward keeping patients healthy and out of the healthcare system, right? The job they really want to do is get on with their life. If there's a disruptor, who finds a better way for people to get on with their life and not be encumbered by health problems and health issues, then they're formidable (laughs) because then incentives become aligned and people would be willing to pay for it and probably be more engaged in it as well, which we don't necessarily find engagement except when people are sick. So as an incumbent, what I would be concerned about is how can I try to move toward that level of alignment of incentives? Um, again, either with a partner or on my own. And also remembering that I can't compete against a different business model just by performing better. I can, you know, just because I get faster or a little bit cheaper or a little bit better looking, it doesn't matter. If somebody's got a different business model, I still have difficulty competing against them on a head-to-head basis. I've either got to adapt or partner. And again, I think the ultimate goal is how to align those incentives. So I think that's what the ultimate of getting at the job to be done, right, is when everybody's got the same aligned incentives around the job to be done. Well, I wasn't sure if I was going to ask this question, but I think we have some time, and I'm really excited about it. So let's, uh, let's postulate a little bit. Imagine a world, uh, and it may not be in that far too distant future, uh, where Apple, Amazon, and Google are fighting each other 
in the healthcare space, uh, but as Jay was alluding to earlier, in the home, they're fighting for um, the access and engagement and meeting the, the jobs to be done of keeping someone healthy in their home. Who wins in that battle and why? And because I, I think we'll be able to talk a lot about their RPPs as we answer these questions. I'm going to pick Amazon um, because of the range of their RPPs, and they have so many different ways of entering healthcare. And everyone's theorizing about pharmacy. There's things going on with Alexa. Are they going to develop an electronic health health record? And the reality is, I, I don't know that they have this master plan that you know they're going to execute exactly. That you know they're going to conduct experiments and see what works. But they have all of these different things. They have logistics. So you know they've got the most popular uh, device now that sits on your kitchen counter. They have that, and they're getting AI into that. A blender. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and an AI infused blender. That'd be interesting. Yeah, um, uh, Alexa, make me a milkshake. Uh, so then they're talking about getting in, in the pharmacy business. Uh, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take to get drones. When when they're able to partner, pair those two things together, that's that's great. Um, and then they could potentially do a lot of things with data. So they're coming at it from a lot of different directions. They have more uh, physical assets that can be deployed than than the other two companies. So that's kind of why I give them a leg up. I'd give it to Google. And I, I would because I think they have the intellectual capital to figure out how to do it. And as Jay was talking, I thought, okay, well, maybe I would change my answer. And I would say Google's going to figure out how to do it. Amazon's going to deliver it because of their different resources and processes and strengths in those respective areas. But it's, it's definitely not Apple. They're my third choice. And Google may just develop the algorithm that then figures it out on its own. I agree. I think Google may actually make <laughs> yeah. it better, but I, I think Amazon's going to going to be would be the clear winner because uh, a couple of reasons. One is they they have the analytics at their core to make products and services better meeting the customer's needs, and that's huge. Then they make it simpler. And that's a lot of what their RPPs are about is how can we make decisions simpler? Decisions are simpler, behaviors change. Once behaviors change, then you're making progress in healthcare. Right? So through that line of logic, I think that Amazon has the best um, opportunity of the three to win. But honestly, as we've had this discussion today, I'm less scared of them as a provider because I think there's so many pieces that they still lack. And, of course, they can go get. We get that. They can even come partner with us for some, a lot of those. But there's still so much that they lack. It's going to take a long time to take what they've done well somewhere else and apply it to healthcare. And the reality is they might all three win. And the definition of win- winning might be different. It, you know, it could be that Amazon has the most robust structure and, and things that can wrap around a healthcare consumer and Google's the brains behind a lot. And maybe Apple's is a niche play. But if Apple basically uh, positions the watch as the most attractive wearable and the next thing that fits into it, and they just sell a whole lot of them over the next decade, 
they might chalk that up as a win. That is a great point because winning depends on what your priorities and metrics of success are. And we're all looking at this through the lens of not working for any of those companies. So their priorities and metrics of success and definition of winning may be different, as well as when this comes to fruition, the market's definition of winning and what the performance is judged against may be very different. And there'll have to be a completely different payment mechanism for any of them to win financially. Yes. Very good point. Well, let's come back to the three takeaways that we discussed at the beginning. Um, Jay, you went first last time. Let's let's have you go first this time. So jobs to be done. What was the takeaway, having discussed all this, that we should remember? Well, again, you, you look at the resources, processes, and priorities of those those three companies, all the different things they can do, and you look at the, the healthcare consumer's job to be done and line that up. And, and we as healthcare systems, again, I think we go back and see what we're really good at, but where some of those things can plug a gap, where can those things really position us for value? Because we know that's where it's coming. Uh, what are the what are the devices or the AI um, uh, types of things coming down the road? And there's potential partnerships there. And how's that really position us to get a consumer's job done? Terrific. Thank you, Jay. Will it's the business model, not the technology. Absolutely. So um, you know how formid formidable these new entrants might be call them competitors call them partners either way Um, it's not the technology that makes them formidable it's the business if they have the same business model that we have we can adopt the technology just like they do it's if they get paid in a different way and have a different set of priorities around that technology that's what makes them difficult for us to compete against head on head and then you really do have to look at do you do we change our rpps or do we try to partner with them around the job to be done for the patient? Great. And Ann Summers, uh, not necessarily threats. Right. Could be partners. Could be potential yeah. opportunities. So these big organizations, like you said, aren't necessarily threats, but actually represent potential opportunities for us because they have the RPPs, they have the business model that we may need to succeed in the future, but don't necessarily have today. And these organizations are all really good at changing really fast. And it makes me think of that Jack Welsh quote that when change on the outside is happening faster than change on the inside, the end is near. So how can we look to those opportunities outside of us to ensure future success? And if we're going to partner with them, we have to work faster, too, or or we'll be left behind. They, They will just find the next person because they they will get impatient with us yeah great well i don't know about you guys but i thought of at least 50 other podcast episodes that we could (laughs) uh, riff off uh, some of this stuff very exciting and you think there'll be more news on this topic in the future (sighs) gee i don't don't know the next hour (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah. when we take our phones off airplane mode (laughs) Yeah. yeah well as the saying goes uh fortune favors the brave and so we'll see which of these companies or in, uh, some of the establishment companies are the ones to uh, to make some changes. So, And Summers, Will, Jay, thank you again for your perspectives today. Thanks, Ben. Always fun. Thanks, Ben. Thanks a lot, Ben. 
And I'm very much looking forward to our next episode. So join us as we spend some time going a little bit deeper into jobs to be done theory using maybe some real world examples like why Jay hired Twitter. This is Ben Tingey signing off. 